the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. June 17th, 2021. 58 years ago today, the United States Supreme Court took religion out of our schools and banning the Lord's Prayer from being recited in our public schools. That case came out of Pennsylvania. It had one dissent, Potter Stewart, who wrote, among other things, quote, for a compulsory state educational system so structures a child's life that if religious exercises are held to be an impermissible activity in schools, religion is placed at an artificial and state-created disadvantage. And a refusal to permit religious exercises thus is seen not as the realization of state neutrality, but rather as the establishment of a religion of secularism, or at least as government support of the beliefs of those who think that religious exercises should be conducted only in private. Subtle point. If religion is the one thing not allowed in schools or among a few things not allowed or disfavored in schools, it is put on a lower scale and in a disadvantage, an artificial station that is neither favoring or disfavoring. It is disfavoring. It is not neutral. It is biased. This morning, another Supreme Court case came down out of Pennsylvania, allowing Catholic services to continue to engage the city of Philadelphia, contract with them, though it will not place foster children in same-sex couples' homes. A city decision barred such contracting with Catholic social services based on Philadelphia's non-discrimination statutes. Interestingly, you might think this such a decision would come down to us 5-4. Guess what? It was unanimous in Catholic services, the First Amendment won. The interest in non-discrimination, John Roberts wrote for the court, does not overcome the Catholic religions or services interest in their religious exercise. The city's foster system allowed for other exceptions to contract with the city, and given such exceptions to the non-discrimination laws, religion and religious belief could not be punished under the guise that non-discrimination is the most or absolute or one inviolable concern of interest. There were exceptions for other things, including religion. Non-discrimination was not inviolable. If exceptions can exist for others, they cannot not exist. In other words, they must exist for the religious. In a way, this is a massive corrective to that which took place exactly 58 years ago today. And I believe it will be a watershed holding or has the potential to be. Of course, this case comes to us just as there is a big debate in Democratic Party circles as to whether Justice Breyer should retire with all deliberate speed, as it were. You know, so the Democrats can replace him 
with a younger Democratic Party favorite at the Supreme Court for a lifetime appointment. Today's decision would normally envenom such debates with fundraising and political energy akin to something like Chuck Schumer leading rallies against the Supreme Court for having unleashed a whirlwind. But even Stephen Breyer today sided with the majority, the unanimity in today's holding. This is a good day, not necessarily for the right, but for the right of religion and religious practice. But more importantly, it is the first day in a long time a brick has been taken out of the wall of insanity that has governed most anti-discrimination legislation and law. I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, anti-discrimination. Discrimination laws are insane. Far from it. I support most of them. I'm saying they are not absolute in relation to other interests that can appear discriminatory even though they are not, namely traditional religious faith, practice, doctrine, and adherence. I was thinking of the impact and import of this this morning as I think of the times we live in and the classical institution usually poised up against, I should say counterpoised, right up against religion. What is the thing that we worship if not religion or God? Science. Science is usually counterpoised against religion. To be crude, I could quote John Stewart and say, after all is said and done, we have a pandemic caused by science. Or at least scientists. Or I could quote another famous liberal, Thomas Frank, who wrote, quote, but these days the consensus doesn't consense quite well as it used to. Now the media is filled with disturbing stories suggesting that COVID might have come not from populism after all, but from a laboratory screw up in Wuhan, China. You can feel the moral convulsions beginning as the question sets in. What if science itself is some way responsible for all this? The answer is that this is the kind of thing that could obliterate the faith of millions. The last global disaster, the financial crisis of 2008, smashed people's trust in the institutions of capitalism, in the myths of free trade, in the new economy, and eventually the elites who ran both American political parties. In the years since, liberal leaders have labored to remake themselves into defenders of professional rectitude and established legitimacy in nearly every field. In reaction to who they thought was so foolish Donald Trump, liberalism made a sort of cult of science, a, a, an expertise, the university system, executive branch norms, the intelligence community, the State Department, NGOs, the legacy news media, and the hierarchy of the credentialed achievement in general was the new church, the new theology of the day. Now here we are in the wanting days, waning days of disastrous global crisis number two. COVID is, of course, worse by many orders of magnitude than the mortgage meltdown. It has killed millions and ruined lives and disrupted the world economy far more extensively. Should it turn out that scientists and experts and NGOs, etc., are villains rather than heroes of this story, we may very well see the expert-worshipping values of modern liberalism going up in a fireball of public anger. Let us pray for science, intoned a New York Times columnist back at the beginning of the COVID pandemic. The title of his article laid down the foundational faith of Trump-era liberalism. Coronavirus is what you get when you ignore science. Ten months later, at the end of a scary article about the history of -of gain-of-function research and its possible role in the still-ongoing COVID pandemic, 
Nicholas Baker wrote as follows, quote, This may be the greatest scientific meta-experiment of the 21st century. Could a world full of scientists do all world full of scientists do all kinds of reckless, recombinant things with viral diseases for many years and successfully avoid a serious outbreak? The hypothesis was that yes, it was doable. The risk was worth taking. There would be no pandemic, except there was. If it does indeed to turn out that the lab leak hypothesis is the right explanation for how it began, that the common people of the world have been forced into a real-life lab experiment at tremendous cost, there is a moral earthquake on the way. Let us pray now for science indeed. That about says it all. But this is what you get when you give value-free social science and do so in a sneering or negative way toward belief, faith, and religion. The value-free social science has now also invaded physical science in a way it was never meant to. One might have said physical science is amoral, and that would be fair enough. What is so controversial about photosynthesis, after all? It just is. And amoral was just fine, like photosynthesis, for a while, because amorality still demanded a kind of morality, an ancillary or auxiliary morality, if you will. Amoral systems know or used to know their limits and their need to rely on other investigations and inquiries to find out whether they should just as much as whether they could, if I may invoke Dr. Ian Malcolm. But that changed, too. By eliminating religion or religious guidance or other forms and formats of morality from the public and intellectual and respectable spheres, we slid from amoral science to immoral science. It did not begin in the eugenics movement in America. It was here long before that. And by here, I mean amongst humans. We just thought we had a handle on it. As John Adams wrote, quote, the science of government is my duty to study more than all other sciences. The arts of legislation and administration and negotiation ought to take the place of, indeed, exclude in a manner all other arts. I must study politics and war, that our sons may have liberty to study mathematics and philosophy. Our sons ought to study mathematics and philosophy, ge geography, natural history, and naval architecture, and navigation, and commerce, and agriculture, in order to give their children a right to study painting, poetry, music, architecture, statuary, tapestry, and porcelain. The ordo amorum here is crucial. One can study things like the physical sciences once one has established the realms and environments in which it can and should be studied based on what? A common morality based on generally respected philosophy. In other words, notions of right and wrong are the terrain upon which and the only terrain upon which subsidiary explorations into things like science, which are by nature amoral, can take place only on the field and the ground of a greater moral 
series of constraints. This explains, of course, the great point Hugh Hallman has made about the great scientific admiration and respect that existed for Dr. Joseph Mengele before the 1930s for about three decades. And it explains one of my favorite quotes from a letter a teacher wrote to the child psychiatrist Heim Genot. Quote, I am a survivor of a concentration camp. My eyes saw what no person should witness. Gas chambers built by learned engineers, children poisoned by educated physicians, infants killed by trained nurses, women and babies shot by high school and college graduates. So understand that I am suspicious of education. My request is this. Help your children become human. Your efforts must never produce learned monsters, skilled psychopaths, or educated Eichmanns. Reading, writing, and arithmetic are important only if they serve to make our children more human. Make your children more human. Pretty good directive, that. Especially in an age of doing our best to sexualize and dehumanize them. De-childhood them. Again, Turning children into things they are not, like robots or automatons, used to be something the left cared about today. It is something they have perfected. Again, this is what you get with value-free social and physical science. Well, thankfully, the Supreme Court today took a little indirect brick out of that wall that the elites have been foisting on us, that religion and morality are baleful and backward when it turns out perhaps it is their opposites as the past year and a half illustrates when it comes to the sacrosanctity of science that are the baleful and backward institutions played by knaves to make a trap for fools. I'm Seth Lewis, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. One of the uh, great scholars of our age, some say he's one of the most controversial, um, uh, is Charles Murray. Uh, he was one of the uh, guest lecturers who the woke crowd, based on their liberal kindness and understanding almost sent him to the hospital when he dared speak at their school. Another professor who was escorting Dr. Murray was pelted with rocks and went to the hospital. Charles Murray has a brand new book out, Facing Reality, Two Truths About Race in America. He'll be our guest at the top of the next hour. You don't want to miss it. He's, uh, I don't think, <laughs> he is uh, He is one of... Um, one of one of the great controversial thinkers of our age, and when I say that, I say, I say controversial in <clears throat> in this sense. If you think it's uh, hard to agree with him, try disagreeing with him. That's what a skilled thinker can do: make it hard to agree with, and yet also disagree. It makes for a, it makes for an intriguing or interesting um, and different kind of thinker. So uh, we'll do that. Do you, can, how much time do I have? Can I do the, this? This woman is a is a doula who, by profession, you know, assists mothers during childbirth. And this is going around on Twitter. 
I know we haven't spent a lot on this debate. We have spent a lot of time on language and how the corruption of man is followed by the corruption of language, as Emerson put it. Um, and the certainly politics of language, as Orwell has talked about it, we've discussed, and the point of propaganda, no doubt. We talk about these things in theory and ignore them, I think, sometimes when they're right before our very eyes. So that, you know, some good liberal 10 years from now is going to say, well, how did this end up being this way? How did this happen? And we'll say, well, if you were paying attention to what, you know, Prager was talking about or, um, you know, what uh, what Liebson was saying back in uh, in in 2017 or 2018 or 2019, 2021, um, you, you might have an idea. But, you know, this is your team that did this. And you can say everything you want about propaganda, change of words, censorship, memory holding, democratic values, and the like. But you've perpetrated the greatest crimes against all those principles in this country. More than, more so over the last five years probably than the right and left combined have been able to accomplish or attempt in the last hundred years. In other words, the ACLU, if it were its original self, would be more busy today than it was in its entire existence up until today. That's about my prediction. Anyway, as the language turns, listen to the common sense of what I still hope I can call the common American. Go ahead, Bill. I've been living under a rock. You've probably heard that we're supposed to start using terms like birthing person and chest feeding and pregnant parent. Because terms like pregnant woman or mother or breastfeeding are non-inclusive. But I'm a birth doula and a student midwife. And you know what I do for a living is I assist women in labor. And the things that they are doing are uniquely feminine. I just left, like I'm sitting in the car. I just left a birth where the woman was in labor for four days. She was pushing for over an hour. She nearly lost her mind and was emotionally broken down by the end of this. But she delivered her baby. It was placed on her chest. There were tears in both her and her husband's eyes. And the husband leans in close and he whispers, what a woman. It was a beautiful moment. And you know what would have ruined it? What a birthing person. No, we're not about to diminish the battle that women have had to fight to be recognized as badasses and what our bodies are biologically created to do. Don't even get me started on chest feeding. Don't <laughs> Tony, did you know there was going to be chest feeding? There's a whole series of this. A whole series of this. Part and parcel. Intertwined. Dependent upon. Changing human nature. Changing human nature. You don't mess around with things like pronouns or gender uh, gender-defined words. And revision of common sense as well as nature without a political agenda. And you don't tell us that men can give birth and that the only people who give birth aren't just mothers without something very, very, very radical hunting society underneath it. So radical that once upon a time, we would say it's man attempting to be God.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. This is um, going to be a, a segment or two on something that um, is, uh, is not only that, uh, something that, that tugs the heart, but something you're going to want to pay close attention to if you are um, one of those human beings that simply cares about your community and children, which is to say if you are a human being. Uh, every year, this station, 960, the Patriot, engages uh, in some some of our uh, charitable work through something called the Business Benefactor Program that our general manager, Jim Ryan, um, Jim Ryan promotes. And I'm going to have him tell you what it is because the organization we are working with is probably one of the most crucial at this moment, and it is the Phoenix Dream Center. In studio, we're delighted to have uh, Michelle Tipton, who is the Director of Public Relations and Volunteer Coordination for the Phoenix Dream Center. We're going to talk about stopping human trafficking here and what the Phoenix Dream Center is doing for it and how you, too, can help. We talk about it. Now we're about to do something about it. Jim Ryan, tell us how you came to be involved with the Phoenix Dream Center and why 960 is partnering with them. Yeah, so one of our colleagues in the office uh, introduced me to someone that sits on the board, and as we were sitting in my office chatting about it, I learned some startling information that, that really just kind of made me sick to my stomach, to be honest, and, and I, 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 I wasn't aware of this. Uh, and some of those stats are, are the listeners may have heard in these commercials that I'm doing for it right now. You know, one out of every hundred that's trafficked is actually rescued, and it's the third largest criminal activity in the country. And Arizona is the hot spot in the entire country for it. And I was kind of just completely... Wham, wham, wham. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. So you reached out with Michelle, and we are now teaming uh, with uh, the Phoenix Dream Center in a uh, – do you want to mention the Business Benefactor Program right now, or should we talk a little bit more about what the Phoenix Dream Center Yeah, let's Center talk about is? the Dream Center first. Good enough. Michelle, so trafficking, first of all, it's a word on everyone's lips and tripping off everyone's tongues. And I, I kind of don't like it, to be honest with you, because it sounds too antiseptic. Mm-hmm. sounds like what people do on their way to and from work right. or groceries. Tell people what trafficking is. So human push that right close to you. There you go. So human trafficking is when people are uh, have the use of fraud, coercion, or corruption in order to uh, use sexual acts for somebody that is not willing to do so. Um, if you're under the age of 18, it's automatically known as sex trafficking. Um, that's sex trafficking of a child. There's no if ands or buts about that whatsoever. Um, you don't any any sort of sex act that involves any anyone under the age of 18 is automatically sex trafficking. However, it's it a little bit different with adults. With adults, there has to be uh, forced fraud, coercion, and um, basically making them do things that they're not typically wouldn't do otherwise um, if it wasn't for the um, need of possibly the traumatic bonds that are expressed in them, um, trauma bonds or something that actually are stronger than parental bonds that traffickers actually form with their victims. Spend a moment on that. Talk about that. This is an element a lot of people don't know about. So trauma bonds are actually bonds that are created in your brain. So um, they are the neural pathways as to which you respond to certain things. Um, You respond to certain things because you they become so solidified because a trafficker has uh, guaranteed them uh, housing has get, false given them false identity given them false sense of uh, safety um, while at the same time 
abusing them either through sex, abusing them through physical abuse, abusing them many other ways, but making them feel gratitude towards them, making them feel as if, well, at least I'm giving you a house over your head. At least I'm letting you live. At least there's this whole idea that with trafficking, um, when this trauma bond is formed, it's because it's stronger than a parental bond. It it literally forges the trafficker with the traffic victim. So in order to get the survivor to be pulled out of that, it takes an extreme amount of uh, dedication, behavioral health therapy, things of that. that would Almost be sounds like breaking someone out of a cult in a way. Basically, and in a certain sense, it could definitely be seen as that. And, and sadly, I've been down there and seen the operation. Yeah, so that's another reason. I and and to sadly, it. you know, it, what, what I discovered in talking to Michelle and getting a tour down at the facility is that. Despite the immense efforts that they go through, oftentimes, you know, uh, counseling uh, the, these victims, oftentimes they go back. Yes. So when a, when like a vic- addiction. Yep. So when a survivor is, uh, comes to our program, there is something in all programs that's called a recidivism rate. That recidivism rate is actually a run rate. The run rate is due because of that trauma bond that they have with their trafficker that's outside of the program. Um, they think certain times they well, it can happen all from things from being exposed to the outside uh, society when you're not ready yet, um, being triggered from different aspects of which um, come into play that you're not ready to deal with, um, dealing with traumatic experiences that you're not quite there ready to deal with um, without having the proper things that you can actually be made to deal with that. Um, We incorporate neurosensory modulation inside all of our rooms and offices um, on our campus as well as Streetlights Campus because we found with many psychologists and psychiatrists that neurosensory modulation is actually things that break that bond. Hold Hold that thought right there. What's breaking these bonds and how we break them and what you do over at the Phoenix Dream Center. I want It's a big piece of it. And I want to talk about the services you provide to invite callers if they want 602-508-0960. And some of the political challenges you have Mm -hmm. and are facing in the new environment, too. We'll do more of that with Michelle Tipton at the Phoenix Dream Center when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. <clears throat> Usually when I have a guest in studio, I say it's a, it's a great privilege and honor to have them. Michelle Tipton is the Director of Public Relations and Volunteer Coordination at the Phoenix Dream Center, which is doing everything it possibly can to help stop human trafficking. And, I, and, and the only reason I say usually is, you know, you have one of these jobs, Michelle, in one of these organizations that we wish didn't have to exist. Right. And the tragedy is it does. We were going over some numbers during the break, astounding, astounding numbers. People who are trying to get their heads around what we're talking about comes to human trafficking. Tell us some of the numbers. Tell us some of the age groups. So in Arizona, the average age of a young lady to be human trafficked, to be exposed into sex trafficking is actually only 14 years old. 14 years old. That is a pretty much an eighth grader, I believe, um, eighth grade level. So all those people are parents that have eighth grade children out there. That is the average age of them being trafficked into this lifestyle. Um, For young boys, it's actually younger. It's actually between 11 and 13 years old. Um, that it's a terrible t- statistic and it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, you find a lot of, um, the foster care system is a very, very high reason as to why human trafficking exists as well, as well as aged out foster system. Um, it also happens because of online trafficking, online trafficking use was, I was, we were discussing has a 98% increase la- in last year alone in, um, predators going after young children online because of, um, 
their parents basically just not understanding and not witnessing as to what they're exposed to on the internet. Yeah, the internet is a big dangerous, uh, a, a big danger area for this, right? If you were to talk to parents who are concerned about making sure, ensuring that their children are never subject to trafficking, what are the warnings you tell parents? What are the things they should look for? I tell parents you definitely want to get with a program, um, an actual program that will actually give you statistics and information as to what your child is actually um, exposed to. We partner with a great organization, a great company, I'm sorry, called CyberDive. They are a huge partner of ours. Um, They're actually helping with a few other things as well. Um, They are a, they have a platform where you can put it on your child's device. You can actually get information back from what, uh, such as age groups of your child, um, who they're speaking to, the average age of their friends on Facebook, word bubbles as to what your word, your children are most likely Mm -hmm. looking for. So it'll give you red flags. It'll alert you. It'll alert you straight to your phone. So it doesn't have to seem as if you're spying on your children, but these are the necessities. These are the things that have to happen because if we're not controlling the internet usage of our children, they're getting lost in translation and then they're literally being taken. Tell me about this number 100. So 100. So it's oftentimes um, thought... it's just a very significant number. Um, we often, so about every five years, we're able to have in one room, we were speaking of rooms earlier, in one room, we have about 200 survivors go through uh, about every five years. And then that's when we renovate the room as well. So if you look at the number 100, um, if you're able to help save, able to help rescue, able to help recover another 100, that is that is literally taking these, these young women and young men off of the streets that are, you're helping 100 more souls, 100 more lives to get back off of those streets. So that's about two, it's keeping through the four pillars of the program. Helping 100 is really going through the entire program in entirety of that 100. If we can raise that money to to fund for those 100 girls, your help or young men, you're helping those 100 through the entirety of their program. We're talking to Michelle Tipton. She is with the Phoenix Dream Center uh, and uh, talking about stopping uh, child trafficking, human trafficking uh, of children. Jim, we as a station are delighted to partnership Uh, to engage in a partnership with them, to have a partnership with them. And already some of our listeners have heard your appeals and have done tremendous, uh, tremendously generous work um, to help the Phoenix Dream Center. You want to tell everyone a little bit about our campaign and what others can do? Yeah, sure. Um, If you'd like to make a donation, and please do, go to 960thepatriot.com and click on the Stop Traffic Walk banner. It's front and center on the homepage of the website. Uh, just today, uh, I got an email from a listener that um, is an owner of Bergie's Coffee Roast House in Gilbert, and they made a significantly large donation, which, uh, quite frankly, you know, it got me goosebumps as I read the email. Uh, and I know that's how generous our listeners are, and so I'm grateful for them. You should uh, visit that coffee shop if you're in Gilbert. Um, and open at 6 a.m., <laughs> yeah. 309 North Gilbert Road. No, honestly, nice. we want yes. we want to drive you there. Yeah. Uh, good from Chandler, good from Phoenix. Go from Tucson if you can hear us. 309 North Gilbert Road, Gilbert, Arizona, Bergie's Coffee Roast House. Yeah. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you, Bergie's, right? Yes, My absolutely. Gosh. And and I'd like to go back to something that – Five Michelle... stars, by the way, on Google Reviews. That's pretty Nice. Good. Not surprising. Yeah. Um, real quick, going back to the, you know, the, the tr- trauma bond that Michelle was talking about and how difficult that is to break, they do have tremendous success. And I want to talk about that success for a minute because this should compel you to make a donation. When I walked down there and Michelle gave me a tour of the facilities, I was blown away at how comprehensive and how methodical the thought process was on recovery. This is not where you're giving them a bed and some meals and a, and a, just a health checkup and then trying to get them a job at Chick-fil-A. 
This is career counseling. This is medical, dental, emotional therapy. This is this is serious stuff, and it's well thought out with a four-pillar process. And so can you talk about that a little bit, Michelle? Sure. So our program it consists of, like you said, a four-pillar process. Um, the first pillar, when a, a young man or young woman survivor enters into our program, they're going to be medically uh, cleared. So what that is, we actually on property uh, offer an entire medical service unit on property itself. We have what we call, as part of what we have called anchor points of our system. Those anchor points of our system make it so our survivors never have to actually leave our campus for any services until they are ready. That is a huge reason as to why trauma bonds uh, exist. No food, no necessities, no doctor's appointments, right. anything. Nothing. Wow. They have to wow. leave for nothing. Wow. We are basically an essentialized a bubble, um, which is amazing for healing processes. Oh. So that's the first pillar is the medical wing. We have that full entire me- medical wing, the Halley Healing Center. From there, uh, we go to, we walk with them, how are you going to dream again? What are you dreaming to become? What do you want to become? We've literally run into young ladies that have told us, the only thing I know how to do is work in this life. When you're told that, it breaks you. It breaks your soul. We're staring into these eyes of these young ladies that literally have no hope and no option. At this point, they've been medically cleared. They're actually stable enough to start dreaming. So we're like, what do you want to do? Our program director, Jay Sean Varela, told this young lady, open a book. Let's figure it out. Now's your chance to make mistakes. Now's your chance to dream. Now you get to have those childhood dreams that you never got to have before. With that, we have on campus, like I mentioned earlier, more anchor points. But before they can go to school and things, we have the eye clinic. We have a full-fledged eye clinic that's run by three ophthalmologists. It's Dr. Williams Eye Clinic. We have a full dental clinic. We have a full learning center that was um, renovated by the Phoenix Suns. It's really a community effort here. We really, really try to pull everyone together to show everybody that these are how we can how we can help the healing process. Um, from there, after we ask them how they can dream, we move into third pillar. Let's execute these dreams. Let's get you into school. Let's see if it's a GED. Let's see if it's high school diploma. Let's see if you're going to go to college. Where do you want to fit in? Where do you want to go? Or are we looking for career opportunities? Let's figure out what we're doing. We don't want our survivors exiting our program and working at McDonald's. It's just not acceptable. What we're trying to do is instill in them those dreams and allowing them to find their purpose-driven life. The point is is that they need to have a platform as to which they can excel. From there, they move to fourth pillar, and that's really the transition pillar. Let's talk about that on the other side of the break. If we can, the transition, which is the future and the hope of this, the hope of the dream. PhoenixDreamCenter.org is their website. You can uh, check out our uh, – uh, what are we calling it? I'm sorry. Stop Traffic Walk yeah, on our Stop website. Traffic Walk at our website, 960thepatriot.com, and you can learn about our, of course, uh, uh, donor program as well, well, business. Yeah, well, they call me if they want to do a business benefactor okay. donation. Sorry. Perfect. Yeah. We'll fix that on the other side of the break. Yeah. We'll be right back. <laughs> Oh, there's a song about dreams. Phoenix Dream Center is um, is, uh, is the organization we've been talking about doing its best to stop human trafficking in a way like no other. Uh, Michelle Tipton has been our uh, in-studio guest. Michelle, thanks, thanks for uh, joining us. You know, we operate under uh, conditions that are terrible when we're talking about child trafficking, and we operate under um, nightmares. One thing one would hope for is if the government can't help, then at least maybe it can't hurt. But under this new administration, um, you are dealing under you are dealing with some new constraints, making it all the more important that we have to kind of step up here where the Biden administration has let us down. Tell us about this latest financial hit you took due to the Biden administration. 
So due to new federal funding restrictions, um, just this year alone, we were we actually were subjected to lose one million dollars. Um, on top of that, though, with the federal regulations that have been instilled on the federal funding, uh, we actually are in looking to possibly lose uh, thirteen million dollars. Um, this is due due because the federal funding restrictions that they have now make no room for Christian based or trauma informed care. Those coupled together is what we have found to be the most successful way as to which a program runs. This is why we have a 94% success rate in our in our uh, program itself. Um, so when I was saying 8 million in my promos over the last week, it's actually worse. Mm-hmm. Much worse. You're losing a $13 million uh, grant. Right. Um, and that is specifically because there is no room for Christian and trauma-informed program in the federal funding. The restrictions are so great that they place upon um, any program that's under those. It, 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 it redacts us from being able to actually accept any of the funding whatsoever. And some of that was, was instilled because of the rule that you had on the transgender, how you house the boys and girls. Yes. So we are actually, so what we follow is trauma-informed housing as well as trauma-informed employment. So with that being stated, we must have, we, we draw the line per se, that uh, the the biological gender is what you were born with is the biological gender at where we will place you on the floor. Um, with that being said, men will be men that were born as men will be placed in men's floors. Well, same thing with women. Um, if you can imagine being a 17-year-old uh, biological, or uh, let me rephrase that. If you can imagine being an 11-year-old little girl that is being told she has to room with a 17-year-old biological man because he's identifying as a female, that's outrageous. astronomically outrageous. Right. And these are the things that we're combating. We will not allow a self-identified gender individual that identifies as a female but born a male. We cannot, unfortunately, allow them, unfortunately, allow them to be placed inside a woman's um on a woman's wing. It's just not healthy for the anything. Well, God bless you for that. And, Jim, that's why we are stepping up, right? And you want to put in a word on, uh, yeah, on that it, business benefactor it, program. A huge shout-out again to Bergie's Coffee Roast House and Gilbert. If anyone else wants to and is in a position to own a business or, or be a decision-maker to business and can make a large donation, I'm willing to give back to the listener for their business an equal dollar amount in advertising on uh, one of our radio stations here. And so I, I'm just pleading with our listeners to show a heart, help this great cause. They've lost government funding. We need the public sector to step up. And I just know how big a heart our audience has, and, and I hope they can do that for us. And they can reach you by going to our website at yep. 960. The and you'll find my email address there, uh, or you can just call down to the radio station. Thank you very much, Michelle. Jim, bless you. Godspeed. Charles Murray coming right up. Don't go away. We'll be right back.